<laughs> Aloha Maui Nui. Hello, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhart. Welcome to the Solar Coaster episode 119. Why do you make me say that? Because I'm never sure. <laughs> I'm William. firmly of the opinion the numbers don't matter anymore. <laughs> well, we've been doing it for a little while. This is William Geis. We're actually just debating about the pronunciation of William's uh, last Geese name. Geis or Geis. Uh, he's the sure. executive director of the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. Uh, had the pleasure of speaking with him earlier this week. And basically, and I told him, I was like, you're just a treasure trove of information. I was blown away by how much he knew about what we wanted to know, which is this kind of relationship between utility scale, residential, and, right. and well, what's going to happen how, in the future how, with how far, how far we're going we're gonna to go on roof versus commercial? Do we all just want to live in the world where we still pay an electric bill and we get solar from yeah. a large field? Or do we want to kind of own that, that power but also take responsibility for it? Right. And it's going to be a little bit of both, probably, real world. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to hear what he has to say. So, uh, yeah, we got him coming in in about uh, 15 minutes. So let's jump right in here. Hey, folks, this is The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Ko'oi 1110 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Website www.solar-coaster.com holds all our old shows, uh, 118 deep now. Uh, we've talked about so many things across the renewable energies industry, everything from panels and hot water all the way to, to fusion energy and the, and the future. Uh, if you have any interest in any of those, go to the website www.solar-coaster.com and check them out. You can also listen live, uh, check out photos. We're going to be going through a revamp. I know we keep talking about it. Uh, we have our new logos coming. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, and But of course the most important thing is uh, the mailing list. If you want to get in information you have a question that you want to get on air pretty much every page if you scroll down the bottom has a little question section and you can submit your questions to the solar coaster uh, get it to us and we will get your question on the air please do it that sounds like a lot of fun also available on uh, itunes stitcher and TuneIn. i'll carry the solar coaster let's look for that old little yellow sc logo soon to be changing there you go <laughs> I'm, gonna there say, you go. I'm gonna say that twice there you go all right we got some great sponsors out there sundrum solar pantech design and lg chem all of them doing amazing business sundrum closing multi-million dollar deals pantech working on development and new house builds and lg chem uh, the i think right now largest or high biggest quantity of deployed residential solar storage in the country. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to be a really great, uh, cool sponsor like them, then come on the solar coaster with us. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, it's the call-in show, 808-242-7800. call in line. This is a good show to call in if you'd like to kind of ask questions about, you know, uh, homeowner rights and getting solar. I think that's where Geese is going to play, uh, has some that's, interesting yeah, to say. That's exactly what we're talking about. Again, we're, we want to know um, if you have an interest in getting solar, uh, we'll try to steer you in the right direction. We don't sell yeah. it. None, neither of us are now installers. <laughs> <laughs> True that. True that. And then we have uh, uh, the, uh, also the uh, Pantech Design Minute right now. Pantech Design Minute Security. The security of your family and your home is always the most important thing on your mind, especially when an emergency strikes. With most standard security systems, when the power's out, you're vulnerable. But with a home battery and Pantex Adapt System Keeping Watch, you can rest easy knowing you're safe. Imagine, a typhoon hits and the power goes out. Adapt leaps into action, doing all the normal things it does. Turning off unnecessary appliances, turning on but dimming lighting for safety and visibility, but now also locking doors, turning on motion sensors, and reporting to you when security events take place. What good is a security system if it doesn't function when you need it most? In this new era of home energy automation, Pantech Design's ADAPT system helps you protect the most important things in your life, your home and family. Pantech's ADAPT system is compatible with a wide range of security equipment. For more information, visit PantechDesign.com. All right. Oh, there we go. So uh, Pantech, just on the phone with Megan uh, a couple days ago and Troy, the uh, people that are running Pantech Design, they have something re reportedly pretty exciting in store uh, for SPI 2019 in Salt Lake about a yes. month, month yes, and change later. About a, about a month away. And uh, you know, I wonder what that is. I really don't know. Yeah, and we, we're, we, not, we're not we, sure. We I mean, can talk about it, but we, we don't know, actually, <laughs> right? So what, what could they add? I think it's V to H. I think it's vehicle to home You would power. like that a it lot. It should be. I, we, we certainly I, complain I about it enough. Sure, but I don't think that's their... <laughs> That's that's their thing. They're they're really trying to go across the board and, and integrate. What's all, your guess? I don't know. They're going to have some <laughs> crazy cool new home control something something that nobody ever thought they needed, but of course you would need it. Right. Okay. So that's <laughs> sounds sounds, sounds like Apple. You didn't know you needed this until you saw it, and then say I need that. Now you can't live without it. <laughs> all right. That's Pantech. Fantastic. Let's go over to news and events. 
All right, right away. The web browser is not working. <laughs> there we go. Um, so there's a big um, Carbon Brief is an interesting website if you ever go there, carbonbrief.org. Um, but they're they're going over a report that says it's cheaper in China to build solar than uh, traditional power plants. Um, we knew that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no. Um, it's actually really interesting because a lot of people were saying, although most of the developed world, would, like Germany and the U.S. and stuff, we've been in that kind of parity space for a while. Um, <sighs> they said China would lag significantly behind. And there's a couple different reasons for that. They have a lot of new um, fossil fuel generating facilities right they built a lot of coal plants recently they don't want to end of life these things um they're very they're, they're they were built relatively cheaply uh so it's going to take a lot of time to to have the solar come down to parity in those regions and that's kind of an interesting question is is we go on air and i've said a number of times that we've kind of reached that first threshold where it's cheaper to build new solar than it is to build a new coal plant for example but um, when you're dealing with with some place like China, it, it, it doesn't always work across regions, right? Mm -hmm. It's very it could be very expensive in Germany. It's very expensive to build a new power plant, so the solar makes sense. Uh, in China, the sold that building the coal plant was cheap, so solar being kind of a commodity, mm -hmm. you buy panels anywhere. <coughs> it, it hasn't reached that threshold yet, uh, but now they're saying it, it absolutely has. So you got you got about 22 percent of these 344 cities that were studied are now at parity, right? Right. And parity, be, parity being the fact that that, China, that solar is the same price as fossil fuel. Right. And this is important because we could see massive increase in renewables in China. Is that what they're talking about? Actually, that was part of the problem here. This, this report goes into it because they're, they're talking about, um, they started talking about subsidies. Now, we heard last year um, that China drew down a lot of their government subsidies. They were giving out massive feed-in tariff rates, guaranteed rates. Uh, the, the, the business was, was fantastic because they were able to install solar cheaply and got a lot of return on their investment. But the subsidies are going away, had actually were pulled, and now they've revamped it, met a much more reasonable kind of tariff tariff scale. Uh, and so the business case doesn't quite make sense anymore. So there, there, there's, there's a question of whether or not it can survive, uh, despite this viability, uh, without subsidies? Yeah, and, and, and without subsidies. And we've talked about this before, where, where um, at some point the business kind of has to stand on its own, the market has to stand on its own. And so the government's subsidies should be drawn down and removed. When is the right time for that? China decided. About, China about decided the same was last time year. that oil subsidies are removed. There you go. That'd be a good time. <laughs> that's a whole. So, that's a whole different conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is different, but it's also the exact. It's also the, the exact same. same. So yeah. okay, here's here's a question. The uh, on this opinion piece over here, why 100% renewables isn't feasible by 2050? Oh, I don't like this person. <laughs> well, I mean, this fella, he you know he picks out some things that we're aware of, right? Um, he says, and just to break it down without getting into too much here. Solar and wind and renewable energy resources are not controllable sources of power. We okay, know that. They're intermittent. <laughs> okay, great. We got that. We're working Solar on Solar and wind installed capacity. This was kind of interesting. He was talking about how if you compare the, the capacity of a, uh, a traditional fossil fuel plant, a gas-fired power plant, versus a solar wind plant, they operate at different power factors or capacity factors. So 80 to 90 percent for, I, I, yeah, that, that was, I never saw this before. Well, I, no, it's basically the same as number one. The reason why it's at 20, 25 percent is because they don't output their total rated capacity all the time. Okay. That's precisely number one and number two are exactly the same thing. Oh, so you're saying it's kind of like a little bit of a game here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay maybe that's why. <laughs> so uh, storage technology must continue to evolve is his next piece, and right? And it will. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> Initial cost uh, dollar per kilowatt hour of renewables is high. And, th and he sure. goes to give some math here in the last two things, right? He says that it costs about $1,000 per uh, kilowatt for solar and storage, $1,500 per kilowatt uh, for wind, and uh, wind power costs up to $4,000 per kilowatt. Mm -hmm. So he talks about some different, different costs here uh, for the types of renewables that can get installed. But you get further down in that illustrative cost. That's where it was kind of interesting, Jay. Did you take a look at that? Yeah, no, he's actually digging. Try, he tried to plug in a bunch of numbers and make it made, made it make sense. The issue is it really doesn't take into account the phenomenal rate that solar and wind are falling 
still in price. We're still mm -hmm. we're still in a in a place where where these things are getting cheaper and more efficient. You don't think they're leveling um, off? I don't think they're leveling off. Uh, but I do see storage taking a much. I mean, his his whole campaign at the end of this turns into it's going to cost four hundred dollars per kilowatt hour to put in the storage, mm -hmm. and that may be true today. But it's started. The math is starting to work, and it's not going to get more expensive. It's going to get cheaper as we start making more batteries, as we get off cobalt, as we we come up with new technology, battery technologies we haven't even thought of yet. Right. Um, Tesla has their super secret lab that everybody just found out about. Right. I mean, they're working on new battery technologies. Of course they are. Right. Of course right. they are. So that's going to happen. And just to, to say that that 100% renewables aren't achievable, so we shouldn't try. <laughs> Is absurd. <laughs> yeah, strange little piece here. Strange little piece. Okay, um, other global, <laughs> other global concerns. Will a hotter planet make solar power less efficient? Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like the uh, the the Alex Jones segment right here. We're going through all these little uh, bizarre ones, right? Yeah, so, of course. Um, photovoltaic cells do become less efficient as they get hotter. If you can cool them in some way, we learned actually uh, because of uh, sundrum. Um, if you can, you can harvest that heat energy, you can actually make your solar panels more efficient by putting a big heat sink on the back, basically. Mm. Uh, so that, that's absolutely fantastic. But what they're talking about is global warming, uh, climate change by uh, 2100, the year 2100. Um, if we have four and a half degrees, then we lose a couple percent worth of uh, solar power efficiency. If the solar panels manufactured today are still working in 80 years, <laughs> I will be very, very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> pretty silly. They probably won't be in service. Pretty silly. Um, These are yeah, no, pretty silly, they, aren't they? They, they, are, they are really silly. They, I they mean, this is they MIT assume... technology review. Sure. And it's, you would think it would have some credibility they, here. Uh, right? I, I, I would <laughs> certainly hope so. Uh, it just seems like they, they're, they're under the impression that technology has halted and this is the way it's going to be for the mm -hmm. next hundred years. Mm -hmm. And that's just, again, just absurd. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get over to uh, to what's going on in D.C. with the, um, the investment tax credit okay. extension. Okay. Probability, feasibility. What do you think? Um, yeah, at the, it, well, at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. we, the, the, <laughs> in the current political climate, we assumed that there was no Zero chance. no chance. It's just not going to happen, right? So we're going to be in this world where we're, the investment tax credit that you get from the federal government if you install solar is going to be staggered down. Its initial schedule. This is what's to, already to in refer, place now. Ref, to re refresh everybody's memory, is we're at thirty percent this year. If you sign contract, prove intent, and you're installing your solar within the 2019 tax year, you get a 30% credit. Yeah. Next year. Jay's not a tax advisor. He's not legally allowed no, to No, I'm not. Advice. I'm just I'm just <laughs> reading what the law says. Um, if if you get, um, if you install in 2020, it's going to be 26%. So it staggers down 4%. Right. That's separate from the, in the case of Hawaii, separate from the state it's tax credit. Completely separate from right. the state. We're talking about the federal tax credit. Correct. Yeah. Uh, 2021 is at 22%. And then by 2022, it actually, the residential disappears completely. It goes to zero. Uh, for commercial and utility scale stuff, it will remain at 10%. Right. Uh, currently indefinitely. Um, but the, um, th there is now a, um, a bill circulating that uh, will extend for another five years. Yeah, to 30%. That's, that's that's and we've been here before 2015. We had a uh, reduction or an elimination or a sunset of the uh, federal ITC at 30 percent. Mm -hmm. Just wasn't going to be there anymore in the next year. And then last minute, kind of one of those uh, overnight sessions, it was extended. And we were all, right. you know, yeah, this is wonderful, right? Yeah. We had other problems in store for us. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, now we're in kind of a similar situation. It, the, the, some of the executives out there, whether it's the CEO of SunPower, Tom Werner, or the CEOs and founders of Sunrun or Vivint, they're all saying it's fairly long odds, about a 30% chance. And they're, all, hedge, they're, all, hedging, they're all hedging their bets. A lot of these, they, sure. they, they, have, they have plans. Uh, they're definitely trying to... Um, keep <laughs> what are they doing they're stockpiling equipment getting new special loans getting advantage called safe harbor right well, i mean safe i guess the, stuff. I, I guess the thing here is it, you know we don't know what's if this is going to get extended it's, it's unlikely that it will it could be brought back you know it, it's everything's so political these well, things the, 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 i mean it basically comes down to if you want the federal itc to continue call your representative in washington <laughs> write an email yeah. uh whatever whatever it takes uh and if you don't then then you don't this this itc though factors heavily into where we're going next which is the 
future of residential solar. One quick question, one quick point before we get there. Uh, boost for equipment suppliers inside of that ITC. If we, um, there's an expected, there's a safe harbor capacity, uh, safe harbor kind of provision within this transition from the, you know, the ITC in its current form to the next next stage. And uh, companies can basically buy equipment in advance and to, and take that full tax credit on. Right. There's a right. mechanism like that in place. So a lot of these manufacturers are expecting a bump towards the tail end of the year, which I think is something interesting to take a, keep keep an eye on. Yeah, if the, phase, if, the ta- if the tax credit edge, doesn't go forward, a lot of these a lot mm-hmm. of these companies mm-hmm. are going to make an attempt for to safe harbor some equipment. Yeah. Um, it, it's not tremendous, but I mean, each one of them are talking like six to ten million dollars. Yeah, additional it's a, revenue. It, yeah, it's something that you'll see on their books. Um, all right, you want to jump over to what's going on with the residential installers? I, I do, because this is actually really the critical piece of the puzzle, right? Um, what's going to happen were residential versus utility. commercial and utility scale yep. type of stuff. Um, it's getting much more difficult, and you can attest to this, I guarantee, sure. um, that just to find customers. The low-hanging fruit is gone, right? The people, the early adopters, <laughs> the people that wanted solar for whatever reason, whether you're you want to be super green, uh, you have a unique electricity demand. Um, maybe, it, it's, maybe. It's, I mean, I, I think that, um, we're, we're, first of all, we're and talking... And the people that are aware. They were educated about it, and they know what they it is. They are saying that in this article. Sure. And on a national level, we're actually still a very small amount of solar. And some places, basically, there isn't much at all. Like, there are new markets where all that low-hanging fruit you just described is actually out there. I think, like, we were talking to the guys at Mosaic, and they were seeing places like Texas, for example, right? Mm. So, um, and I'm not sure if that's actually the case, but, I mean, there, so there are areas where low-hanging fruit still exists. Here in Hawaii what is kind of more what you were talking about, I think, sure. right? Because we're in this... 20% plus adoption rate. I would territory. say California's in that same zone. Yeah, maybe. But like, there, there's there, the, the, the point is that the, these guys are having to, what they're saying in this article is that they're having to put more and more money into the acquisition, cost of yeah, client they acquisition. They have to work harder to find right. customers. <laughs> right. And I'm not sure what, you know, what that actually is, why that is the case. Um, but the, the their cost of client acquisition always has been huge. I find these numbers to be very interesting because we're looking at the actually published numbers. So you can see what people are paying across the country for straight solar. I assume this is nothing to do with storage. And uh, Vivint and Sunrun's numbers, Q2 2018, Q, uh, Q1 2019, Q2 2019. So from these periods of time, you know, fluc- fluctuating between about 310 a watt and about 356 a watt, that's what those numbers were across the country. That's mm-hmm. actually um, higher than I thought it was going to be. I thought that, that's about right, I guess. But um, but then they go down to the next court, the next chart, and they show that um, the cost of client acquisition is around a buck, yeah. So, which I had no idea it was that much, right? And, and, mean, it, and it's gone up more than 25 cents. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Like, I'm, <laughs> over, I, I, over that same I did time not period. Real, I, I knew that it was, a, it was a lot, and I, you know, I'm in, I've been in that space before, but I was that's, like, whoa, those numbers are amazing. That's a 20% increase year over year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, higher spending on sales and marketing, which is shown uh, below on a per watt basis. Vivint Solar, um, this is from uh, Q, let's say Q2 2018, and then up through 2019 more recently. 96 cents a watt, $1.16, $1.27. Sunrun is actually notably uh, less. They have better, uh, I guess, marketing process or whatever. But um, And then they talk, they move into the, well, that's a lot of money. I mean, geez, ladies, that's like it's a tremendous amount third, of money to third of the overall, third, cost, the overall of the system, cost of the system right? is just trying to find the customer. Yeah, and that's amazing that that's actually getting more, as being exacerbated right now. And then you have, then you look at Tesla and Tesla's doing this really uh, neat thing. They're always kind of leading the way or at least, you know, philosophically leading the way. And they go, we're going to be at 199 a what? How could they do that? Well, Jay and I were just talking about this before. You know, they're, they're, they're talking about putting a lot of the work that's being done and reducing truck rolls and reducing uh, ways of, you know, of, of dealing with clients to cu- cut those acquisition costs down, those management costs down. Uh, maybe they'll have an app and they'll be able to take pictures of right. the oh, meter sure. and do, well, put a gonna, lot of that gotta, work into explain. the homeowner's yeah, Explain the when process where the, solar when you, the reason when, when you come call up a solar company, they come out, they look at your roof line, they look at your electrical panel, they take some pictures, they take all that information back to the office, and then they actually start designing. And if you had an app in your hand that says, hey, go outside and take a picture of your electrical panel in this yeah. square, yeah. right? So you have a little window and you take There's your picture and you send it. Here. But then you just send it into the system. They design your stuff. They already have all the information. They don't have to roll a truck, which is what? At least $400 internally, I've, right? I mean, I've, I've seen amazing more. numbers of how yeah. much it costs yeah, to roll a truck. super expensive uh, to, to do that stuff. And the one point that I, I really like is that chances are your customer is going to do better than your average Joe you hired because they care. It's their house and they want the solar. 
Yeah, yeah. There you go. So that's an interesting way to look at that. So why don't we do this? Um, let's jump over to our commercials, mm -hmm. and when we come back, we're going to have William uh, Geis Geese. We'll find out how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Sorry, William. Uh, and uh, from the uh, from HSEA. LG is a leader in the home electronics industry and manufactures some of the most popular PV panels as well as many other appliances we've come to know and appreciate over the years. The same LG brand offers the LG Chem Rezu battery line for your home energy storage needs. Here in Hawaii, their primary model is the LG 10H Rezu with 9.3 kilowatt hours of usable capacity. The LG 10H Rezu can be used both to maximize consumption of solar energy at home and also functions as a source of backup power in the event that the grid goes down. LG Chem has increased production of their battery line for Hawaii's renewable energy solar market. Contact your local solar provider to learn more about the LG Chem 10H Resu battery. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. All right, those were our wonderful sponsors. Thanks so much for keeping the solar coaster on the tracks. We're really fortunate today to have William Giese, uh calling in. Uh, and William, can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Sounds perfect. So, uh, William, we're here. Uh, Jason, my, my co-host, uh, Jason Verkart's here. And uh, we are uh, really excited to talk to you about your organization and your background. Now, William, you're the executive director, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. That's like Hawaii's SIA, right? Uh, kind of. We are Hawaii's oldest and largest renewable energy uh, industry nonprofit. We've been around since 1977, and wow. I've been the executive director since January of last year. 77? That sounds like the, like uh, Marco's territory. <laughs> Marco yeah, started right? by uh, <laughs> Cully Judd um, and a few other folks, tons of other folks um, back in, gosh, I guess this would be the very expensive PV days right. <laughs> when a lot of actually lead acid batteries were probably being installed on the big island. Seven which seven, I think were a lot yeah. of support. That's amazing. Well, that's so it, that kind of speaks to how, uh, how advanced I think Hawaii is now and has been in the, you know, and, and, and it's always kind well, of even, even, away. even then. Yeah. We were, we we're doing all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So what does HSEA do now? And then the, what, what's your role entail? Well, sure. So I kind of split it into four different, branches, I guess, of what the HSCA does. The first and probably the oldest one is just advocacy in general. So advocating for mostly solar energy. So like I mentioned, we got our start actually an off-grid DER system. Mm -hmm. And when I say DER, um, I mean demand or uh, distributed energy resources, which I, I would imagine a lot of your audience knows, but just in case. Stop yeah. me if I go and thank you. Your, nope, I'll, I'll catch yeah. you if you miss one. We always, uh, <laughs> okay. we're, we're always doing our best to kind of like explain the acronyms, you know? <laughs> yeah, it gets a lot of acronyms really quick. Um, but it was mostly off grid DERs and solar thermal uh, back in 1977 with mm -hmm. the solar collectors. Um, Kali Judd has this famous picture of uh, the White House. I think the White House pool house had uh, Sun Earth solar collectors on it. Um, that were taken off by the next president, but they were on there. At the oh, time. yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I, well, I remember so, reading about that. I was one, one year old around there. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can find that picture. I got to like, if I ever leave, you know, the solar industry, that I'll take that picture with me. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but um, so, you know, advocacy has been a big part of the HSEA's um, modus operandi, uh, mostly at the state legislature. So we've advocated on a number of pieces of legislation, really popular well-known pieces of legislation and lesser-known pieces of legislation since the 70s. Um, so that's kind of one branch. We also do our advocacy at the uh, legislature or the uh, municipal level, so on the counties, mostly around permitting and uh, electric code and energy code. Right. 
so I'm a registered lobbyist with the state and uh, the county of Honolulu, our uh, city and county of Honolulu. Um, so I do that um, with a number of other energy stakeholders, too. We all kind of have one big group. So that's one branch. The second branch is regulatory. So we participate either ourselves or through an attorney. Often um, it's through a gentleman named Isaac Marwaki who, and Kylie Wager um, who work at Earth Justice. So we are very fortunate to have them doing um, a lot of our legal work. Um, or I, myself, or several of our board members will help write filings in regulatory dockets that are heard by the Public Utilities Commission. So we are involved as what's called an intervener stakeholder, which mm-hmm. is a kind of legal term that provides the HSCA with lots of legal tools as a stakeholder in a number of well-known dockets, performance-based rate making. Um, we were involved in power supply improvement plan, so the PSIP. Uh, we were involved in the Next Era case. We're involved in a DER docket. Um, we're involved in performance-based rate making, IGP, um, integrated grid planning is what that stands for. The GEMS docket, which has to do with the Green Energy Market Securitization Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The Hawaii Energy docket, which has to do with energy efficiency. So we're involved in all those dockets. So that's kind of the regulatory arm of our work. Um, the third is the membership arm. So we hold, last year we held our first ever solar expo. Oh, cool. We're holding it again on November 7th this year. Quick plug yeah. for the solar expo in Honolulu. <laughs> uh, I have been involved in lots of, you know, in Hawaii it seems like a lot of energy expos or fairs seem to happen around the policy side of things, which is important. Um, but there was really no kind of technology focused. Um, energy fair, mm-hmm. like the BIA home show or something like that. So right. last year when I became the director, I decided that we should try something like that. And we had it. We had 16 uh, different exhibitors come out. It was our most well-attended HSBA event that we've ever had. We had the mayor of Honolulu come and give us kind of talk about renewable energy. And I think it just gives everybody a chance to see, like, I was listening on your, uh, during the break, you guys had an advertisement for LG Chem. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of the kind of most well-known energy storage products that gets installed residentially. But there was an LG Chem, you know, at our solar expo that people could play with and touch and, like, how does it work? And, you know, if you're a resident and you're thinking about these types of energy things or... Did you say there was or of, was not? There was. Well, there um, was. Okay. Yeah, and a bunch of other energy storage things, too. So I think Enphase's AC battery was there. Um, oh, wow. Holo Energy at the time had a kind of large product that was there. We Ted, had a bunch of Ted and his people out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we have that. We also have a general membership meeting. We had a lobby day where we bring HSEA members and other interested folks, solar supporters, basically, to come. I set up a bunch of meetings with state legislators, and we kind of come in and talk story with them, which is great. Um, we offer free training. So in August, for instance, for HSEA members, we're offering free CPR and fall protection courses um, that end in a, a license or a certification for those so you know kind of general trade group um stuff and then the fourth arm is the community aspect of it so lately i've partnered with uh khon's action line which is a volunteer um service that khon provides for customer complaints so we address they contact me about solar related uh cases that customers come to them like if a panel isn't working or if they can't get in touch with their contractor or whatever and usually I work to resolve them. I think I'm batting above 90% on all the cases that have come across my desk. So that is kind of a – that Oof. didn't exist before I was around. So it's not that many cases, but I'm, I'm batting a pretty high percentage on it. And it's really great to talk to consumers of solar devices. Yeah. Because yeah. for me, it kind of – I get to think about how I can improve the HSCA member. It really rounds it all out for you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So you got those, your regulatory, you got advocacy, you have the industry, and you have the community. Those are the four buckets. Yeah. Did I get that right? So, that's um, four buckets. wow, that's a lot of work. Now, how big is your staff? Uh, staff of one. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, nope. I was, uh, so, was going to say, I'm really impressed that you're taking it a personal interest in that type of stuff. Okay. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a lot to cover. I'm hoping to grow. Uh, you know, with the HSCA, is actually, we, uh, we can talk about this later, but the industry itself has contracted pretty significantly yeah. and the hsca membership you know we are a, a member-driven organization that runs on dues that member companies pay mm-hmm. um so you know members dropped off and then you know 
Funded. Obviously, our yeah. revenue dropped off. Yeah. But luckily, I I think I've brought us back up to membership levels, pre-2015 membership levels. So nice. we hopefully will have enough revenue and our expo will be successful enough that we can hire somebody else and I can kind of it just, add it, at least one other person. What, what strikes me here, Will, is that the work that you're doing is, is, is broad and you're in these these four buckets out of necessity and it's so important it's so valuable what's what's what what you what your organizations engage with been engaged with it for a long time since 1977 you just said that mm -hmm. and um you know it, it's uh it's something that probably should be pretty should be well funded <laughs> i mean i would think that you know because you'd want to be able to uh, right now we're looking at this industry and i have you know and we all have serious concerns about the viability of of you know it, companies that are in the installation business uh, and being able to, you know, provide, you know, local jobs. And it's an industry that provides tremendous growth in jobs all across the country, but here in Hawaii as well. It's like, it's a great, great, highly great, technical, highly, highly yeah, paid good jobs, good paying good jobs. jobs. And then it's, it's, it's under threat. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The last four or five years have been brutal in the industry. I speak from a little bit of experience. And so, you know, I wonder, um, yeah, what's your take on the industry itself? What's the health of it right now? How, where's it come from? Where's it going? You know, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, before I answer that, I do want to kind of give a lot of credit to my board. I have a board of seven members that are super, super active. Oh, so cool. without them, I don't think I'd be able to have the reach that I do. So that's one thing. The other thing, I mean, on your industry question, I mean, it's a mixed bag. So I've been working in uh, energy policy in Hawaii since, uh, man, it's probably about almost going on five years now. So basically my existence in the behind-the-meter energy world has mm -hmm. been at the bottom when them ended and then up from there. So every time that we have like good numbers, it all looks good to me because everything was kind of not so great when I started. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, okay. But I know, yeah, but I know like, you know, a lot of my board, right. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty young. So a lot of my board has a little bit more institutional experience than I do. And so they have kind of the benefit of perspective, mm -hmm. but I do think that, you know, the argument I always make is I, these are jobs. These are jobs that people are losing when uh, things like NIM go away and it gets hard to sell solar. And, you know, I think there was a solar jobs report that came out pre-NIM, pre the end of NIM in 2015, that showed that more people were employed in this state in the solar industry than at the utility. And that, I don't think that's, that's true anymore. And the companies that suffer, I think, the most readily from these types of policy changes that are kind of whiplash policy changes sometimes. I mean, I give the PUC credit for all the work that they're doing, and I think mostly it's good. But sometimes, you know, these policy, uh, the story that doesn't get told is that these policy decisions do have an impact on local jobs, local companies that yeah. can't afford to do business anymore or can't pay uh, people anymore. You know, these are good paying jobs that people have, and they're employed here locally, you know. This these is a very, yeah, like, very valuable area. Like, yeah, huge companies like Sunrun or Tesla, they're not, like, going to the mainland and employing folks from the mainland and shipping them out here. They're employing people here. So even when they kind of start to pull out of the market mm -hmm. or they start to pull back some of their sales efforts, it's not like those folks that had a job in Hawaii are suddenly being shipped off to, like, California or something. Right. They're, they're losing just... their job here. Yeah. So I think that story doesn't get told, and, and that's one of the things that I have trying to been harping on a little bit lately. You know, you were on, you, you jumped on my radar because of that article uh, in GTM maybe last week or the week before, and I think Marco was also quoted in that article, Marco Mangelsdorf. And, uh, you know, the, the, you were talking about, you know, the healthy industry, and I thought it was a great article. And, you know, I was, I've also been in the kind of mindset of looking at business plans post-NEM, loss of NEM, and trying to understand how to structure out a, a, a business as a relatively, you know, small electrical mom-and-pop solar business, looking at these numbers. And it's very difficult. And, and Marco was talking about that. He was talking, how, do you, how could you possibly create a business plan if you don't know what policy is going to look like in 18 months or 24 months? It's impossible. You because know, you, you, you want to, you, you need to get some predictability in this. And I'm not saying, you know, create protectionism for these kinds of industries, but it, but it does seem very, very difficult to do that. And then what's the, what happens if these, all these companies go away and they're not there anymore, they're not doing this work? Then we're reliant on these huge national providers only? I mean, it's an important question. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of making my points here. And, and I thought that Marco's comments were, were great. And I, the, the simple matter is, like, look at it from the customer's perspective, right? We have a tariff like smart export which if you're like an energy wonk 
smart export kind of makes sense is this kind of interim tariff that gets us these time of use base rates that we want incentivizes things like energy storage and possibly things advanced and, inverter functionality and, that can and smart export like for services. our listeners is basically having a, you use a storage device and you distribute you, you you get paid for the energy coming out of that storage device at like non solar times right is that kind of what smart export how it operates yeah so you're so you're you're allowed to export any time of the day but you're only compensated for those exports at peak times so in the morning when people are going to work and in the evening when people are coming back that is when you can export energy and get a credit for it okay. um but the thing to note about that is obviously the sun is coming up or going down so the amount of kind of solar radiance that's on the island is lower in the morning and the evening so obviously it implies that you need a battery right that you store your energy and use it my point is that you know <laughs> and and this is an open question for me too so i don't want to make it sound like i'm bashing everybody i just i'm considering this too sure but when you're a solar salesperson and you're going into somebody's home trying to sell this product all of a sudden you've gone from nim net energy metering which is a really straightforward tariff um very simple to understand you buy energy at this credit you sell it at this credit and you either pocket the difference or you you pay for what you don't have and then the excess carries over every month right that's simple simple sales pitch smart export is not simple um, it's complex, it's yeah. It's hard to understand. It's hard to sell. And the credit rates are lower, right? They're lower than retail rates. So your return on investment as a consumer, your value proposition, is already a little bit lower. But we have this kind of policy framework now where we need a ton of DERs installed on in the state because the, the HECO and the PUC and our industry realizes that we can't get to our 100% renewable goals without a lot of um, rooftop solar um, or energy efficiency or whatever. So my concern, I guess, is what does that tariff look like? How can we make it simple? But also, how can we make it complex enough that uh, it meets all the kind of grid needs and stability needs and whatever resiliency needs that we want, installs the kind of technology that we want, but also provides value to the consumer and allows the consumer to have agency over their own okay. energy use. Okay, right? okay, there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount yeah. there. Let's, let's, Sorry. let's, let's, no, no, it's perfect. <laughs> let's, let's unpack that before we get further down the road. So, I, you know, what I just heard you say, which is in and of itself extremely important, is that the utility and the, and, and, and everyone, I'm not sure which body you're referring to, but recognizes that we need our rooftops in order to hit our 100% renewable energy goals. Is that true? Is that what you just said? It recognizes yeah, and, what a tremendous amount is necessary, right? Yes. And they, they talk about this in the Power Supply Improvement Plan. And I want to dig into that. I'll make sure we catch that on the show. And then, so within that, you talked about these very complex tariffs because they're trying to create certain services that they need, that the utility needs, uh, that the community needs, you know, by the utility. And um, and it's just tough for, for a, an industry to be able to kind of understand that, package it, sell that, and then move forward, right? That's kind of the complex that we described. It's tough for people to understand what, what it is they're selling and how this actually creates value for them as well as for the community. And it's not just smart expert. I mean, the, the CGS is also... <laughs> it, yeah, it's a just, complex just little ball of wax. Difficult. And, and it's not always it clear from the perspective of a guy that's like saw a lot of these come out and then had to f un interpret them and understand them. It wasn't like even after you read the explanation of them, you fully understood it right away. Mm -hmm. you, you, under, you needed Stood. to... We understood it. You, we need to be able to sit down with some people and then kind of you know uh, bounce ideas back and forth and then throw questions at the utility and say, is this how this operates? Is, would this be acceptable? And some of them actually, frankly, they were saying... We're not really sure. Propose something, and we'll see if we like. We'll it. see if we like. I it, remember right? that. <laughs> that. That was that was so, that was an M plus. Yeah, that was M plus. <laughs> so you know, it's it's it is it's pretty opaque, man. It's pretty confusing, um, and it's uh, but it is exciting too. You know, it's it, when I look at all that complexity, I'm like, well, if we could, as a community, embrace and support our solar industry, then we could become experts in this post NIM environment and kind of a resource for a lot of other places in the future. It's maybe that's kind of pie in the sky stuff, but it feels like we have an opportunity here, and but it's so fragile that we we might lose it. So, um, well, where should we go next with this, Will? Um, you know, we, we talked about how important this rooftop is for uh, well, first, our... why? Why is why is it important? Is it just a matter of math? Geogra uh, geography. Well, I so, <laughs> I think if we look at yeah, partly geography, partly math. I think if we look at let's say Oahu, right? So Oahu is like what seventy, eighty percent of the population here. Most of the energy consumption happens in Oahu, and yet we have like one third the amount of space as say Big Island does. None of the islands are connected to each other by a cable or anything like that. And I don't really want to get into that conversation sure. here. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is if we don't have an inter-island cable um, between the islands and we want to get 100% renewable portfolio standards in Oahu, 
it looks like, and if I, I have to subject check the PSIP, but I just don't think that we have the space to build out the amount of utility-scale renewable energy that we need to get to 100% RBS in Oahu. So that, looks that to be means the case. <laughs> that all of the rooftops across all of Oahu, commercial, residential, apartment buildings, should have some type of solar energy on it. 100% of the single-family home rooftops will have one in, renew, will have DER resources on it. That's what it says in the uh, PSIP. I think it's Appendix H or something like that. So even HECO acknowledges that this is how much behind-the-meter uh, generation that they need just in Oahu. It's so interesting. It's, other, uh, it's so interesting, Will, because we went through this period over the last decade where there was this constant slowdown and people w became acquainted with the idea that they needed permission because of the fragility of the grid to be able to put solar on their roof, right? And sure, there was merit to that at certain points along that chronology. But now we're in a place where we're hearing in order for us to hit our our, 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 our legislative mandate of 100% renewable energies, we need your roof. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a heck of a flip of the script right there and and I, and I gotta tell you I had this conversation I was telling a friend of mine about you and about what you know what we're gonna talk about today and you know he he said uh, he and I think he represents a lot of type this this kind of uh, type of opinion out there he's like look you know we we wanted we wanted solar before and now the, now they're gonna want our roofs and and you know are they gonna take our roofs or we, he actually was you know nervous about it he was like that's that doesn't feel like we're gonna be independent and we're gonna have our own energy autonomy and we're gonna be able to save money you know what do you think people are, are gonna be in a good position in the future is it, is it concerning? Do you have any concerns about the utility coming out and taking the roofs? <laughs> is that right? I mean, if it goes the way that I want it, I don't think they should be concerned because the HSEA has always advocated for, you know, uh, in energy independence, like for yourself. Um, if it's your roof and you own it, you should have the final say over your own generation behind the meter, right? Uh, ideally, you know, there should be price signaling or incentives for you as a consumer to want to participate in the grid. What the HSEA has advocated for before is that we, we don't want to see really mass grid defection, um, which is, you know, everybody going off grid. We, we don't really want to see that because we don't think that that's really good for grid stability. The other question that I, I think about a lot, because I'm a renter, I mean, I'm under the age of 30, I live in Hawaii, uh, I don't make nearly enough money to even contemplate affording a home, so I rent, but what are the options available to me as a renter to take control of my energy consumption or my energy usage? We, we heard about this roof. wonderful program called GEMS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can't participate in GEMS because I'm not uh, a developer, right? I mean, CBRE, potentially, community-based renewable energy is something that I can participate in. Sure. A CBRE project might be developed using GEMS financing. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, sure, that's an option, but where are we going to build all these CBRE projects and how does a consumer like me, a renter, take advantage of that and how quickly can we get that up and going too? Right. So it's kind of all of these little puzzle pieces trying to get it all put together on a puzzle that's kind of <laughs> all the same color. You know, it's hard to tell where they all go. Um, but I don't know. I, I think, you know, when you look at the filings and even HECO seems to be slowly changing their opinions about I, they've always said at least in their filings that they need to preserve consumer choice and that the consumer comes first so i think we should as advocates as people of the state who are pushing towards 100 percent renewable portfolio standard we should take them at their word and hold them to that and if people want solar on their roofs and they want to be able to control their energy usage or their energy consumption or their generation then we should fight for that and we should say hey you go you've said this this is what you want um, and we're giving it to you, and there it is. Yeah, if they're if they're asking for rooftop and and hopefully storage, I mean, it sounds like a perfect recipe for for uh, VPP technologies that that we've seen a decent number of. Sure. So, I mean, your uh, virtual power plants is kind of a quagmire to get into because there's lots of different ways that you can do it. Sure. But I think like when you have what's called aggregated DER, which I think is the eventual future that we're all looking at for 2045, but we have all these resources all over the island and we can kind of lump them together to be used as what you've said, a virtual power plant. I mean, I think we do, we are kind of looking or contemplating frameworks where this might happen. The thing is, is that, you know, I mentioned in that GTM article, I think, or other things I've been quoted in, is that we're really the, the bleeding edge for some of this policy. This stuff is getting figured out here in Hawaii um, at a large scale to 
meet all customers equitably and provide the same level of service they've always had under the utility compact under an entirely new framework. And it's complicated stuff, and a lot of people are going to have opinions about it, but we're still working towards it. So I'd like to have us be, you know, I would like to have us get it right the first time so that we can provide a framework for all the other states that are looking at adopting this too. Get it right the first time. Which is another added pressure. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So are you, do you have concerns that some of the paths we're taking right now might kind of lead us off, off course a bit? I mean, one of the things that occurs to me, and it's very straightforward, is that we have this, you know, RFP phase one we, in Maui. If we think in terms of Maui, it's easier for us to think about that. You know, we've got a 60 meg, 240 megawatt hour system that's been approved. We get another uh, 15 meg, 60 megawatt hour system that's kind of pending approval. Uh, you know, these are sizable systems that are going in. And people for many, many years have been told, oh, you can't get solar, you can't get batteries, you can't get this can't get that and that's kind of been you know ironed into their into their brains right and that's a frustrating thing so now now we're hearing oh phase two it's going to be even bigger there's going to be hundreds of megawatts and the megawatt once again is you know a boatload of panels let's put it that way mm-hmm. so uh you know th- th- there's all this massive movement and then when we talk to the utility but we're on a couple of um weeks ago we had on uh, chris and greg and shana uh from miko and you know we were asking just hey what where's phase two is it where's this going to take us as far with our 100 renewable energy mandate where how far are we going to be i think they said 80 percent ish right yeah, yeah they said, i think it was like so 83 we're, we're trying to hit 100 renewables we're sitting around 30 or 40 percent for a while you know we're moving for fast and then boom we're at 80 but still people are, don't have solar on their roofs and now there's that prospect of hey we're going to need your roofs i mean that's kind of it could flip the script and it could be kind of could there be like a a meeting of you know you know a shaking of hands there going hey we're going to work together now <laughs> you're going to be able to get solar we're going to make it easier for you i mean that would be a really nice thing to see it'd be good for well, the here industry here and, they have here they have the, the potential to actually maintain control of generating large generation sources, right? So they're putting in um, acres and acres and acres. You mean we have panels. enough land relative we have enough to the land relative. Yeah, the, 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 different from a pe- People don't want it. That's a whole different conversation. I don't want to see it on the side of the mountain. Different conversation. But they actually do. I mean, in Oahu, it simply doesn't work. It doesn't, yeah, it's not enough space. <laughs> but I mean, people want solar and they've been, they've, they've, they've had the message. When we talk to people and we talk about all the things that we talk about here, uh, Will, generally they, they come back to, hey, I want to save money and I want to get solar. And I don't want anybody to tell me I can't get it. It's as simple as that. That's what their major concerns are. And I'd say cascading down from that, a lot of people know people in the solar industry and they want pe- those jobs protected because they're great And everybody jobs. knows somebody who has solar. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Any, I, yeah, there's a lot of that, I guess. <laughs> no, no, you go, you go. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, there's this now. I, I got really angry, I think this was a year or two years ago, when that Molokai project, um, that battery energy storage system project, was approved at sure. like some absurdly high PPA like rate. Like 20, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know... You, <laughs> You pull up, like, the interconnection queue that lists all the con- consumers that are, like, awaiting interconnection or are interconnected, and you look at Molokai, and there's still, like, a ton of people just, like, waiting to get their systems interconnected. Yeah. And why couldn't Molokai serve as the pilot for what a DER kind of NWA or an aggregated DER kind of service would look like that provided the same uh, functionality that that BEST system would provide at potentially a lower rate? Why mm-hmm. was that never contemplated? And I get irritated at stuff Mm -hmm. like that you know i mean just the other day uh we were in an igp conference and this was covered in green tech media where uh, the public utilities commission sent a letter to hiko asking about their ho'okili non-wires alternative five-year deferral for why they deferred a nine uh a potential non-wires alternative in favor of looking at building out you know traditional and D substations. And <laughs> surprisingly, you know, the PUC sent this letter, a strongly worded letter in PUC terms, and then they showed up to a meeting, two commissioners, two of the three, which is unusual, um, to basically hear what HECO's excuse was for these NWAs mm-hmm. and their load projections for the whole Pili area, which coincidentally, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true, but they look at Ho'opili and assume that none of those houses there will have any DERs installed on them or EVs, right? And so their load projections are off already. And we're not even contemplating what a potential NWA, you know, cost-benefit analysis might look like compared to a bunch of substations being installed. And the ratepayers are paying for that, you know, when they could potentially be paying less and have solar energy on their roof. I mean, 
I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but no, what the good. point is I get irritated when we we look at all these different things and the utility for what it's worth sometimes seems still stuck in that, you know, cost of service mindset of, you know, these are the options that we've always traditionally looked at. They've worked for us. This is what we're going to do. And we mm. do not have the time uh, or the benefit of even statutes or the time relative to climate change to sit around and, and not contemplate a cheaper, better, renewable alternative. You know, that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, my, well, so, I agree with you for sure. Well, l- let me ask you this. I mean, uh, what are there any? Is there any tech out there that you're particularly excited about? I mean, just you're you're all these other worlds that are these four major buckets of things you're doing. You're super engaged. You're super busy. But is there any tech out there you're just kind of like, well, I'm really excited about that? Uh, yeah, I, I I've been tracking. Uh, what is it? Patent permit applications for solid state batteries Uh there we go we met those guys (laughs) yeah so there's a bunch of different patents that are pending for solid state battery technician or technologies for residential application and i think that like i mean lithium ion is all well and good but it has some kind of technical limits uh for you know the technology itself and what it can provide to a consumer and i do think that solid state batteries or even slow batteries or things can be a game changer um Molokai, I think, was approved for like a load bank uh, recently, oh, yeah. which is a really old school technology. It's essentially just like a giant copper coil, but it's very cheap. And um, it can serve the function of a lot of more expensive uh, traditional transmission and distribution um, upgrades uh, for a much lower cost, right? So I love the fact that we're looking, I mean, Every, to give you an analogous example, like everybody's all up in arms about grid interactive water heaters. Yeah. But like solar thermal water heaters in Hawaii works really, really well. <laughs> and it's a really old school technology that hasn't really changed all that much, but it still works great. So you're looking so, at both ends of that conversation of what's working, let's not change yeah. it if it's working, and then what else is optimal. Where, where best would be yeah. our, our effort spent. So we got just a couple <laughs> minutes left here. Are there any uh, closing words before we close out for uh, for? Oh, gosh. You know, yeah, and for industry leaders, for policymakers, for homeowners looking to get solar, anything you'd like to share with people? Last yeah, uh, first is a, a second plug for our November 7th uh, Solar Expo. At oh, it's coming up. Tower. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, I'm young, like I've mentioned, and I'm really sick of being the youngest person in a lot of these technical conversations. <laughs> yeah. So if you're young and you have even, like, if you have a big interest in renewable energy but you don't feel like you have a lot of experience, you should still come and participate in these things. We need your voice. We need okay. your opinion. And I want to encourage younger folks to be involved in these conversations because I literally don't want to be the only one left. <laughs> so no, I would say the same. I mean, that's, that's the world you're going to have to live in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I love... that's my plug. You should be involved. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, I'd love to see a lot of young people getting engaged here. And, and then Maui and Hawaii uh, become a hotbed of renewable energy uh, education. We, we, sub- and... we subject our children <laughs> right. to the radio show sure every once in a while. Sure sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, Don't be afraid if it's technical. It's not as complicated as you think it is. Very good. Very good. Hey, folks, this has been William Giese, the executive director of the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. Heck of a smart fella. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, William. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, and this was a lot of fun. All right. Well, look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, Hey, folks, this has been The Solar Coaster. We're sponsored by Pantech Design, LG Chem, and Sundrum Solar. Have a wonderful Aloha Friday. Wear sunscreen. (laughs) Take it easy, guys.